good morning, friends. Uh, let me add my welcome to Parker's. My name is Matt, and I serve as the pastor here. If you're new to our church, uh, we would love to, uh, I'd love to meet you and get to know you a little bit better. Uh, you can come just uh, find me after the service, and if you're more introverted and you want to stay somewhat anonymous in this, even in this small group, uh, there's a QR code on the back of the bulletin that you can complete, and then I can follow up with you during the week or at your, uh, just it, it, however you prefer to be contacted or followed up with. Uh, and then just one more announcement, since next week is the first Sunday of December, the, the beginning of Advent, the new church year, uh, we wanted to provide some resources for some opportunities for family worship through the, the Christmas season. And if you're married without kids or if you're a, a young adult or you're, you're just living uh, on your own, uh, we have a resource that didn't come in this week, but it's going to become it's going to be coming here next week. It's called the Daily Prayer Project. But there's a QR code on that back table that you have access to the digital version. If you want to uh, hop on that this week, you can you can follow along and then you can pick up a physical copy next week. But this week, this Sunday, uh, we're finishing up our study in the book of Daniel. And so would you please rise as we approach God's word together with the reading of Daniel chapter 12. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to ever shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream, how long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time. And that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, O oh my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? He said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the end of 1,335 days. But go your way till the end, and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So this morning wraps up our study in the book of Daniel, and for the last seven or eight weeks we've been approaching this Old Testament book through the lens, through the question of what does it mean for Res Pres to be a church that's for urban Madison? What does it look like for us to be a church that's for the city? And we've been using Daniel as our guide, and he's been really helpful for us in that. Daniel's been a model for us about what it looks like to pray for the city, how to act in, in the city with integrity, with uh, lenses of, of gospel realism, to have humility, 
to work for uh, the flourishing of our city. And Daniel's shown us what to do with our fears, our anxieties, um, uh, the, what we do with the, the, the brokenness that we encounter uh, in the life of the city. And in Daniel chapter 12, we see that there's one more lesson that he has to teach us, and that is how we uh, deal with what we can call anticlimax in our lives, how we deal with the anticlimactic moments that we have. Uh, those moments in life where we experience a letdown or we hoped to experience joy and satisfaction. Those moments where happiness and grief well up simultaneously and it seems that grief seems to overcome and, and overwhelm the joy of the moment. For many of us, maybe the holidays are those anticlimactic moments. For us, we, we go home uh, excited to see family, but then, uh, but then the arguments begin. Uh, or, or maybe uh, the joy of the holiday is dampened because there's an empty seat at the holiday table this year that will forever be there. Or, or as we a- approach Christmas, right, the hap- happiest season of all, uh, we're, 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 supposed to be, we're supposed to be joyful. We're told to be happy at, at, the, at the Christmas season this year. But maybe for you, you're not wondering how to make uh, everyone else around you happy. You're wondering about how to keep the lights on. Uh, you're wondering how to keep the grief at bay when, when everything, uh, when everyone else seems joyful and your world seems like it's, it's caving in on you. When life presents us with these anticlimactic moments, whether it's triggered by the holidays or whether it's getting that promotion at work that, you're, that you were initially excited about, but now it comes with all this criticism and responsibility and blame that you weren't uh, prepared or, or accounting for, or, or whether that's through maybe a relationship that isn't living up to uh, the expectations you had for it. Whenever anticlimactic moments happen in your life, how do you respond? Well, it, it's not immediately apparent, but Daniel 12 can actually be a guide for us this morning about how we navigate the anticlimactic moments in our life. And in order to frame uh, this passage for us, Daniel 12 actually contains two questions. You, you notice the first one in verse 6. And then the second one in verse 8, these two questions are going to frame our, our, our way through this text. The first question uh, is the question of how long? Uh, oh, Lord, how long? And, and this question of how long actually speaks to our present struggle, our present frustrations. And then the second question you see in verse 8, it's what shall be the outcome of these things? Uh, and this, this question of what shall be the outcome actually speaks to our future hope. So we'll navigate Daniel 12 with this question of how long, speaking to our present struggle, and then that question of what will be the outcome, speaking to our future hope. So let's, let's look at first this question of how long, uh, our present struggle of anticlimax. And so in order for us to see how Daniel 12 speaks to those anticlimactic moments in our lives, we need to zoom out and get some context, both for Daniel chapter 12 in particular, but also the broader lay of the land of God's people at this point in history. So you may have noticed when we started Daniel 12, it, 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 it may have been a little disorienting or jarring because we've jumped midstream into something that's already happening in the book of Daniel. If you go back to the start of chapter 10, uh, you'll, you'll see that Daniel 12 is the conclusion of a vision that Daniel had that started a couple chapters back. Daniel, is, uh, Daniel 10 to 12 is one long final episode of the book. And in this vision, Daniel is getting a glimpse into the future. And it's a, it's a difficult vision to interpret because Daniel is receiving uh, a, a vision of the future, uh, both the intermediate future, uh, things that are going to happen a couple centuries from now, and then he's also getting a vision of the end of all things. And he's getting 
So Daniel's getting a revelation of two points in the future timeline, but they're coming at him at the same time. And so it's difficult for Daniel, and it's difficult for a lot of interpreters of the vision to actually parse out what point of the future Daniel is seeing, whether he's seeing the future a couple hundred years from now or whether he's seeing the future at the end of all things. And so while it's difficult to parse out how exactly this vision is coming to Daniel and what's, and what's coming down the line, what, what is clear is the historical occasion that triggers this vision. If you, again, if you go back to the start of Daniel chapter 10, the vision has a timestamp to it. It says, in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia. The third year of Cyrus, king of Persia. And this is a helpful bit of context for us, uh, and here's why. So first of all, uh, the the name Cyrus is significant because Cyrus was a significant person uh, for the Jewish nation because 200 years before the people of God went into exile, there was a prophet named Isaiah. And Isaiah had this prophecy 200 years before the exile happened that, that God's people would go into exile and that when they did go into an exile, there was going to be a king who would come whose name is Cyrus, and Cyrus would be the king that would allow the Jewish people to return home. So Cyrus is significant because he is, he is the king that was, that was promised, this, this pagan Gentile ruler that would allow the nation of Israel to go home from exile. And in the prophetic literature and the biblical literature in the Old Testament, a return from exile was always connected with this theme of Israel being restored, of Israel rising again, that Israel would not only return home, but they would become the dominant world kingdom of the day, that God would bring about uh, the, the ultimate judgment day and, and restoration of all that was taken away from the people of Israel. And so Cyrus is there, but then you read this other bit of context, in the third year in the third year of King Cyrus. In other words, we could say it's, it's anticlimax. It's anticlimactic moment for the, for the people of Israel because even though Cyrus was on the throne and he allowed the Jewish people to return home, the restoration that was connected with this return didn't take place. The Jewish people came back to their home, but nothing happened. Nothing changed. And in light of nothing changing, uh, the people of Israel decided to take matters into their own hands. We read about a guy named Nehemiah who leads the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem. There's also this priest named Ezra who leads the restoration of the temple and leads the the people of Israel into this collective moment of national repentance. Then you have this prophet named Haggai who leads this campaign to get this guy named Zerubbabel the appointed governor of the land of of Palestine, of Jerusalem. Zerubbabel uh, is also a descendant of David. And so you see what the people of Israel are are trying to do. They're trying to put together the pieces again of what they had so that that God will act and and bring about this consummation, this end of all things for the people of God. They've rebuilt the city. They've rededicated the temple. They have a descendant of David sitting on the throne, and they're waiting for God to act, but nothing happens. Nothing changes. And so in the midst of this anticlimactic moment for the people of Israel, this vision comes to Daniel and, do, and, do, and, and through Daniel to the people of God. And so in the midst of this collective, Daniel, uh, in this collective letdown, Daniel asks the question, how long? How long until all of these things will be made right? How long until you will actually act God and, and bring the nation of Israel back to its former ultimate glory? God, how long will you let the evil and wickedness persist in the world? How long will you let the evil people flourish and prosper? And how long will will you wait until you make everything right? Lord, how long? 
And we can connect with Daniel's frustration here, can't we? Like, to some degree, we've all experienced the disappointment of finally getting something we've longed for, but it not being what we hoped it would be. Maybe for you, it's, it's getting that, that career that you've longed for, but it's not as satisfying because it comes with so much frustrations and extra hours and expectations that, you, that, that, weren't, uh, that weren't communicated to you before you got the job, and now, you're, uh, and now you're overworking and you're not seeing your family and you're wondering whether your work is making a difference. Or maybe you are, are single and you long to be married and then you enter into that relationship that you think that this person is the one and they're going to solve all the problems and frustrations that I've, that I've been experiencing in my life. And this relationship actually reveals more problems inside you. It, it, it reveals things in your, in your partner that, that you didn't know was there. And so you're wondering what you do in a, in a relationship that, that doesn't live up to, you, to your expectations. Or kids or, or students, maybe you, you've experienced this last year when you had uh, your Christmas list, right? And you had all these things you hoped to get. And even when you get the things on your list, they're not as satisfying as you thought they'd be. Like that toy that you play with is, is good for maybe a week. And then you're on to the next thing and you wonder uh, what's coming next. We all live at these moments of, of anti-climax, of, of getting what we hope for, but even, uh, but even the joy and the luster of those things quickly fade away. And so what do we do when those things in our relationships, in our world, in ourselves, even in the good things we enjoy, fail to live up to the, to the things that, that they promise to give us. We, we, we get that, we get, we'll get to what God will do uh, in those moments of anticlimax, but, but Daniel, in the midst of, of these how long questions that we experience, Daniel gives us two things to hold on to. Uh, the first thing is that when we're confronted with, with anticlimax, with frustrations and disappointments, Daniel says that we're allowed to mourn. We're allowed to lament. And we didn't read this, but in Daniel chapter 10, verse 2, it says that after Daniel was shown this vision, he mourned for days. He didn't eat or sleep. Uh, he lamented and he cried out to God. And friends, when you're confronted with the broken things in the world, even when the, the good things that we enjoy fall short of, of the true joy and happiness we hope they would give us, we're allowed to grieve. We're allowed to, to mourn and lament over those things. We're allowed to take those things to the throne of God and lay him and, and throw them at his feet because he's big enough and, and, he's, and he's capable enough to respond and to do something with them. He, there's a misconception about Christianity that I think has seeped into a lot of our expectations and has maybe caused some burnout or some disillusionment in, in some of us that, that if it, it's often portrayed that if you're following Jesus, if you're, if you're living the Christian life, then you're living a life that's constantly, should, that should constantly go up and to the right. Do you, do you know what I mean about that? That, that everything should, that should continue to get better and better, uh, that, that life should always be a, a life of victory and triumph, and that if anything is going wrong in your life, it's because it's something wrong with you. It's not something wrong with God. It's something that, that there's, there's something that, that, that's wrong in your life that you need to fix. There's some sin that's unconfessed that you need to, that you need to confess that that there's something wrong with you, not wrong with, with God. And, and I think that, that this version of Christianity is, is, is so distorted, and it's not the entire truth, because if you look at the life of Jesus, for instance, somebody who lived a perfect life, the, 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 the person who lived the most, compelling, uh, the, the most compelling life, the person who's teaching is so life-giving and full, you look at the life of Jesus, and he experienced more persecution, more hardship, more being misunderstood and, and, mis, uh, and, 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 and maltreated than anyone else. And so to, to have a vision of the Christian life that says you should only ever experience victory and triumph is actually not the Christianity of the Bible. It's not the vision uh, of life that, that God has held out for his people. 
Because if that's the vision of life, then the person who, who, who most represents the Christian faith did it wrong. And so uh, this, this vision of Christianity that's only ever up and to the right misses the mark of what true biblical Christianity is. It's a Christianity that, that doesn't live in the real world, that doesn't recognize that things in this world are actually broken. And, and a, a real Christianity actually gives us the permission to look at the things in the world and say, yes, this thing is broken. Yes, this, this good thing is still far from, from what it was meant to be. That this Christianity gives us permission to actually, to actually have a realism about the world and to say things for what they truly are. And, and Christianity also gives us the permission to, to look at our desires and to recognize, as C.S. Lewis said, that if there is a desire inside of us that this world cannot satisfy, that the only logical explanation must be that we're made for another world, that our appetites for, for, for pleasure, for fulfillment, for enjoyment actually do persist beyond what we can see and experience to something eternal that only God himself can give. And uh, as, as we approach uh, the new church year and Advent beginning next week, uh, I'm just, I, I go back to, to, one of the, to one of the sayings that one of my favorite Advent writers says that, that all Advents begin in the dark. Uh, all Advents begin in the dark. And so if you're in the dark this morning, if you're experiencing some anticlimactic moment, if, you're, if you feel like you're in a season of anticlimactic moments, you have permission this morning to, 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 say, to say that's what it is, to say I, I'm not experiencing the joy that I hope to experience. Uh, I'm not experiencing uh, the, the, the hope that I, that I know I ought to be feeling. You have permission this morning to say things aren't going well, that you're in a, you're in a church where, where you're allowed to, to, to come as you are, to not pretend to put on a, a smile or, or to put on a brave face and say everything is okay when it's not. In this church, you have permission to say I'm not okay. And that's okay, because you're allowed to, to give voice to the things in this world, the things in your life that are broken. You have permission to mourn and grieve the broken things in, your, in the world and the broken things in yourself. So first, Daniel, Daniel 12 gives us permission to mourn. But the second thing, though, uh, while, while we are given permission to mourn, Daniel says that we're not allowed to despair. We're, we're given permission to mourn, but we're not allowed to carry that mourning into the region of despair. We're allowed to name and experience sadness, but we're not allowed for sadness to overwhelm and defeat us. And this passage in Daniel uh, shows us that we're not to give in to despair for a couple of reasons. First, in verse 7 uh, of our passage in Daniel 12, Daniel's told that he's not to despair because everything that is wrong in the, in the world has an expiration date. If you, Daniel asks, how long, Lord, will these things continue? And in verse 7, the response is given, these things will persist for a time, times, and half a time. And while that's not a very clear, uh, like we're not able to, to exactly put, you know, put, a, put an actual number to how long that is, the fact that there is an explanation given times, time, and a half a time tells us that, that these things do have an expiration date, that the brokenness in the world will uh, come to an end, that everything will be made right one day. And because there is a timestamp to the brokenness of the world, to, to the brokenness inside of us, we're not allowed to give in to despair. Uh, we're not allowed to, to become cynical towards the world or about ourselves uh, because we know that one of these things, one day these things will come to an end. And, and then secondly, Daniel is not allowed to, give, to be given over to despair because if you go down to verse 13, you read another reason that Daniel still has work to do. Verse 13 says, Daniel, go your way until the end. Write, up, write down the words of this vision, seal it up in a book, and go your way 
till the end. See, Daniel still has a job to do. Daniel still being in, in, the, in the throne room uh, of, of the Medes and Persians to being in, in an advisory role in the government, he still has work to do. He still has an opportunity to be a light and a foretaste of the kingdom of God where he's at. He still has an opportunity to point other people to something that is, uh, that is more full and compelling and life-giving. He still has an opportunity to be an inspiration to others from which they can draw strength to follow God as well. But how exactly is Daniel supposed to not give in to despair? It's, 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 it's not just you know, being sad and then being told to stop being sad. Uh, in, order to, uh, in order to have a, a, a worldview or, or, or a, a way of being in the world that doesn't give in to, de- doesn't give in to despair, we need a grander vision. In fact, um, there's a, a Jewish author named Viktor Frankl who wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning, and he uh, quotes, um, ironically of all people, Friedrich Nietzsche, who says that, that for he who has a why to live for can endure anyhow. He who has a why to live for can endure anyhow. And so what is the why that, that we have to live for as the people of God? Well, it comes to us in the second question, what will be the outcome? What, what's our future hope? What is the end of all things? And the end of all things can be wrapped up in one word, and that word is resurrection. That word is resurrection. What is the outcome of all these things? Well, Daniel 12 tells us it's resurrection. Look at, look at the first three verses of Daniel 12. It says that although things are going to get worse for God's people in the short term, a time is coming where your people will be delivered, and many of those who sleep in the dust of death shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the, like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. See, the, the answer that Daniel is given to his nation's anticlimactic moment is that everything will be made right because everything will be made new. Everything will be made right because everything will be made new. And the process of, of making all things new is resurrection. Uh, you may not know this, but Daniel 12's unique contribution to the Old Testament, to really the, the, old, the, the Bible in general, is that Daniel chapter 12 is the only passage in the Old Testament that, that explicitly talks about a future resurrection. There are other passages in the, Old, in the Old Testament that hint at resurrection. If you go to passages in the Psalms or in the book of Job that seem to imply a future resurrection, but Daniel 12 states explicitly that, that a future resurrection is, uh, is, is a promise for the people of God. And it's, and it's passages like this in Daniel 12 that the people of God held on to uh, even, into the, even into the time of Christ. Uh, and a clear example of this is if you go forward to the Gospel of John, chapter 11. Jesus goes to the funeral of a friend of his named Lazarus. And before Jesus even gets to the funeral service, he's met on the road by one of Lazarus's sisters named Martha. And Jesus is attending to Martha in the moment, and he asks Martha the question, do you believe that your brother will rise again? And Martha, being the good Jewish student, replies, yes, Lord, I know my brother Lazarus will rise at the last day. The last day being being the words here from Daniel 12 that she has ringing in her in her ears that that her brother Lazarus will rise at the at the end of all things, but then Jesus looks at Martha and says to her something incredible. He says, "Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live, and the, and, and those who believe in me shall never die. Do you believe this?" 
In other words, Jesus is telling Martha that, that the promise of resurrection is not just a promise for the end of all things. It's a promise that you can experience and live into in the present moment in me and through me. Martha, do you believe this? Do you believe this? See, Jesus is saying that the future uh, hope of resurrection is, is in him in this moment. But how exactly does that happen? Well, if reading the, the rest of the story of Lazarus in John 11 gives us an insight into how this takes place. Jesus is deeply moved in his spirit. He rages against the death and the brokenness of the world, and he marches to Lazarus's tomb, and he, and he tells the person, he tells the dead man in the tomb to get out, and he does. The, the dead man emerges from the tomb. Lazarus comes back to life as a foretaste, as a picture of what God will do in Christ at the end of all things, that resurrection is on the way. And not only does the picture of Lazarus coming out of the tomb itself is itself a picture of future resurrection. Jesus uh, gives us the process for how this actually happens. You see, in calling Lazarus out of the tomb, Jesus volunteers to take his place. In, in calling Lazarus out of the tomb, Jesus says, I'm going to go into the tomb. I'm going to experience the death that we all deserve so that you all can experience life in the kingdom of God, that you all can uh, experience true resurrection and fullness in God's presence, that you'll never be asked to leave it because Jesus came to be cut off for us so that we can be brought in to the presence and the family of God. That resurrection had broken into the present for Lazarus in that moment, but Jesus knew that in order for resurrection to come to all people, Jesus had to go into the tomb for us so that we could emerge from, from the grave and move from death into life. That we could live the life that God desires us to live in, in his presence and, and before one another, a life lived in restored relationship with God. That in Christ, that death is not an enemy to be feared. Because through Christ's resurrection, the grave has lost its victory and death has lost its sting. And because Christ has been raised from the dead, resurrection is something that we can experience not just as a future hope, but even as a present reality. Because Christ is the resurrection and the life, we are like Jesus, given permission to mourn at the gravesides of friends who have passed away. Uh, but we're not given permission to despair because we know that at the end of the story is resurrection and everlasting life. Uh, the, the, there's a missionary, uh, he's a British missionary to India named Leslie Newbegin. And when he came back to England, he was asked uh, whether he was uh, uh, optimistic about the world or pessimistic about the world because he had been in, in Eastern cultures. He's come back, he, he was born and raised in Western cultures and returned to Western cultures. So he's asked if, if he is optimistic or pessimistic about the world. And he said, well, I believe in the resurrection, so that question never comes up. I believe in the resurrection because that, that question never comes up. And an author and, and writer, Frederick Buechner, puts another spin on it where he says, resurrection means that the worst thing is never the last thing. Resurrection means that the worst thing is never the last thing because for the Christian, our worst case scenario is resurrection and everlasting life. Uh, that our worst case scenario is, is the end of all evil and brokenness and an and eternal life in the city of God. And so because of that, we're not given over to despair, but we can actually navigate our anticlimactic moments with hope, knowing that, that one day we will experience the fullness of joy. One day the good things will, will be consummated and we'll experience the fullness of those things in the new kingdom, in the new city of God. And so friends, as we think about what it means to be a church, for Urban Madison. We have an opportunity to do what, what Wendell Berry describes in his poem, The Mad Farmer's Liberation Front, as practicing resurrection. 
in that poem, he says that we should do, because of, the, because of the resurrection, we should do something every day that doesn't compute. We should love God. We should love the world. We should love someone who doesn't deserve it. Uh, he says, listen to, to the carrion. Put your ear close and hear the faint chattering of the songs that are to come. Expect the end of the world. Laugh, because laughter is immeasurable. Be joyful, though you've considered all the facts. See, friends, we can t- we, like Daniel, we can take the resurrection hope into the world, and we can love the people and places and things in Madison back to life because we've experienced new life in Jesus. See, our friends and neighbors need to see uh, a hope beyond despair, a, a, a hope beyond even the good things of this world, something that will truly satisfy. And friends, we have in the, in the gospel, in the person of Jesus Christ, we have the, the one thing that the world truly needs. And so let's go and be foretaste of resurrection in our city. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are a God of resurrection, of bringing new life to dead things, of bringing fullness and consummation even to the good things of this world. And Lord, we pray that we would be a people that both longs for resurrection and all things being made right. And Lord, we pray for a greater sense of experiencing your resurrection power in our present that, Lord, that we would uh, be people who, who know fully the joy that comes from being in relationship with Jesus, who, who, who know that the good things of this world are a foretaste of what's to come, and, and even those, those things that, that we experience of anticlimax and, and those things that, that let us down, Lord, that, that we know that, that we're allowed to name those things for what they are, and that in the gospel, all sad things will come untrue. So, Lord, give us this resurrection perspective, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And now, friends, would you stand and...